in a series now, uh, looking at a few different things. The first one being faith and expectation, and then relationships. What does it look like to be the community of God, the family of God? And then we've been looking at this issue of discipleship. So two weeks ago, we started kind of this mini-series within the series. And we're going to pick that up again. We're re-digging this well. And that may not mean a whole lot to some of you, but if you look at Genesis 26, we're talking about the wells of life, the things that God has given us in terms of spiritually, where we can actually redig a well just like Isaac redug the well of his father. He reopened those things up, and that produced life uh, even in a desert place. And so you'll need to go back, and we can't review all those things all over again. Uh, but I encourage you to go back and listen to those if you've missed any of along the way. So we're in this about discipleship. And last week, just briefly, uh, one of the things that we touched on is that discipleship is something that costs you everything. Salvation is the free gift that God gives us. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it, perform even though we still kind of try and do that. We still try and get in good with God. He, he, did, he did the good by... He, he covered that whole area, the performance, everything, by what He did at the cross. And so we receive the grace of God when we're born again. And then we continue to live in the grace of God throughout our life. And so our life is one that is Jesus-centered, that is Gospel-centered, grace-centered, and that is the only way that it is even remotely possible to live this life called the Christian life or what it means to follow Jesus. And so uh, last week, one of the things we, we really emphasized, and I just want to hit on it again, is that that whole thing we were talking about in terms of Hebrew culture. Where did, where did Jesus get the the concept, and of course, he gave it to them in the first place, but then he took it and used it for his disciples, which was that word called Talmudim. And those are followers, and their whole goal was to become like the one that they were being discipled by. Not to just get information from him, but to become like him, to do what he did, to they, these, uh, these young. Uh, you know, promising scholars. They would hook, you know, connect with a rabbi and they would learn everything about him. They would watch how he, you know, taught and how he spoke and uh, how he did things. They wanted to become just like him. And that's what Jesus says. And he says, come and be my disciple. Come and be my disciple. Follow me where I go. And so we looked at Peter. Peter who, you know, he, he sees Jesus go out on the water. What does he do? Jesus is walking on the water. No one had ever done this before. And so what does Peter do? He sees Jesus. Jesus had told him, come, be just like me. And so Jesus says, or Peter says, all right, we'll try this. And he didn't do it perfectly, but you know what? He got out of the boat, didn't he? He got out of the boat. He got out of the boat. Holy Spirit, You're the one leading us. You're the one directing us so that we could glorify Jesus with our whole lives. Can you just raise your hands with me? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open up our minds and our hearts. Open up our spirits so that we can see what we must see. 
We understand the, the goal of this whole thing called discipleship is to become just like you, Jesus. That's why you empowered us with your Holy Spirit, because it's absolutely impossible apart from you. Thank you, Lord. Let our lives glorify you, Father. Glorify you, Jesus. Glorify you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus did it, so I believe He can do it through me by His Holy Spirit. Jesus got out of the boat. Jesus took up His cross and He laid down His life. Jesus did it, so He can do it through us. What does that look like in our practical, everyday lives? If we can't take God's Word and apply it to our everyday lives, it's pretty much useless to us. Otherwise, it just stays this nice little theory, some cool-sounding stories and all that. But where do we finally take God's Word? That's the whole goal, is that we take God's Word and apply it to our lives, that we're living it out in our families, in our community, in the marketplace. Wherever we are, we're living it out. Discipleship is a way of life. Now, the way we typically have done discipleship, at least in America, that's my only experience that I have, but typically, by the way that we've done discipleship, we would probably get the idea that it's not really a way of life. It's just something we do when we sit down with somebody and have a cup of coffee or have a lunch or something like that. Or maybe you have a mentality that's coming here and be, sitting here in these chairs and listening to me or someone else share and preach that that's discipleship. And those can be elements of those of discipleship. But what we're talking about here is that it's a way of life. God has chosen uh, this form of transformation to change us into the likeness of Jesus so we would speak like Him, serve like Him, reach like Him, love like Him, give our hearts in obedience like Him. We're hardwired as human beings for discipleship our whole life. We did a series back here a while ago. I think it was in March or uh, April or May. Uh, we talked about wired for worship. We're wired for worship. Everything that we do is worship. Everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do is worship. It's glorifying someone or something. And we are becoming like that or whom we worship. Anything that we're worshiping, and what are the elements of worship that we talked about? Stephanie Barrett, you're always good at this. What is it? Time spent. So time is an element of worship. Okay, it's also an element of discipleship. How about our energy, our effort, you know? That's an element of worship because we're becoming... Like God, we give our energy and effort and we, we go for it and we give that to God. We say, use me, however you take my life. Take my life. Let it be. Because we want to become like Him. Our devotion. Our affections. All those things are elements of worship, but they're also elements of discipleship. It's a way of life. It's everything about us. So discipleship isn't limited to just when we would sit down with someone who we would say, hey, this person's my discipler, because we're about following Jesus in every area of our life. 
So discipleship, let's not be limited in our mindset to just that time when we're with our quote-unquote discipler. It's really, really important. You know, I need someone in my life to ask me the hard questions. The more isolated I become, the weirder I become. (laughs) We were designed for community. We were designed to rub shoulders with one another. We were designed for relationship. We can't do it without relationship. That's why my man, my good friend Jonathan Love, that's why he's married. It's not good for man to live alone. They just got married here recently, Mimi and Jonathan Love. It's really good to have you guys with us. We went to their wedding and reception and it was, it was a good time. Good time. Mm. Just like the elements of worship, these ingredients of discipleship, time, energy, resources, devotion, the relationship that we have with one another. And I want to hit on another one here and that is to serve. To serve. Let's go to Matthew. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Actually, go to John 13, will you? And I'm just going to hit Matthew 19:27 real quick. Then Peter said to Jesus, and this is oftentimes the mentality, you know, that we have when we approach Jesus, because you know, think about when kids are first born. When Madison came out, and when, as she was growing up, you know six months, a year, two years, you know, it was all about her. Gimme, 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 me, me, me. I need food. I need comfort. I need this, that, and I need it yesterday. I need it five five hours ago. And that's always the way that it is. But then he's turning our center more and more toward him so that we can be about doing father's business rather than focused on our own. That's not easy to do sometimes. Because our whole culture is geared around you getting what you want the way that you want it. Burger King, have it your way. I mean, everything. It doesn't matter. Wake up in the morning with the king. Sorry, you can tell I go to Burger King way too much. <laughs> then, uh, but, you know, you see this played out here in Matthew nineteen twenty-seven. Then Peter said to Jesus, okay, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get out of it? Now, I know that's Peter, and we've been able to learn from that, and we don't think that way. At least not Davis. Davis does not think that way. He's not saying, Jesus, what do I get out of this thing? But we do live that way. If I'm not getting what I want, if, if he's not preaching the way that I want him to, or what, you know, if my wife or my husband's not doing, or my parents aren't doing what I want them to do, then... I'm going to try and manipulate the situation to get what I want. And I take comfort in this. Peter was a disciple in training. He didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Holy Spirit's working in our lives. It's a lifelong journey. But, you know, he's like, hey, so what's what's our takeaway from this after giving up everything for you? So let's go to John 13. John chapter 13. And you can probably see from the heading there that you're looking at. It says, before the Passover celebration, this is about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. 
He now showed the disciples the full extent of His love. Did you hear what they did? You're about to see very clearly what Jesus is going to describe as, and, and what this guy is describing. I mean, John, who, you know, was the most loved, I guess, the most beloved disciple of all. I mean, he had a close, tight-knit relationship with Jesus. And here he is describing, he now showed. So by what he did, what he expressed, what he demonstrated, everybody in the room knew that this was the great, the full extent of his love. It was time for supper and the devil had already planned to entice Judas, son of Simon, blah, blah, blah. And let's go down to verse 4. So, this is the full extent of his love. So, he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had around him. The full extent of his love demonstrated Then go over to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because it's true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And how true it is that a servant is not greater than the master. Nor the messenger is more important than the one who sends them. You know these things. Now do them. This is the path of blessing. Hmm. What does that look like for us? How do we take that, what Jesus did, the full extent, expression of His love there, of washing feet, And remember, this is the context of discipleship that we see Jesus demonstrating for us. See, this isn't me as the discipler. Let's take it, let's let's bring in the human factor. Jesus, the Son of God, ruler and creator of the universe, is now on His knees before His disciples. They're asking you know, as they grow in maturity, they start asking, what can we do for you? How can we help? You know what? And, and he's saying, actually, I'm going to turn this whole thing on its head. And actually, the discipler, the one who is the greatest of all, has now become the servant of all. I've washed your feet. Now you do this to one another. You see, this, the, the posture of what he's bringing to us here, which I think is very contrary to what we see today in an American discipleship, is, is the posture is bottom-up, not top-down. It's not me lording it over you, trying to control you or tell you what to do. No, this is a thing of, hey, we're following the great Master. We're following our Lord. 
I may be one step ahead of you to help you because we're both, our goal is to become sons of God. That's what Holy Spirit's doing. And really, the truth of the matter is, the goal is not to become a disciple. Just this disciplined learner who, who does this and, and does that, perhaps. The goal is to become like Jesus. What was he? He was a son. Romans 8.14, and those, the sons of God, are led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit. They're not led by rules and regulations being you know, lorded over them. If you don't follow this, dude, it's over. No, it's like, here you go. Here's what the Word has to say. What are you hearing the Holy Spirit saying? Coming alongside you to serve you and help you become like Jesus. What was Jesus' posture? It was humility, service, laying down one's life. So that is serving. Let's look at the power of God's Word in the life of a disciple. Go to Deuteronomy 17 for me. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy, again, it's between Numbers and Joshua. And this is the crossover book. This is where uh, Moses is reiterating everything that they've been talking about. It's just to sit down and everybody shut up and listen. We're going to preach this thing from start to finish. 30-something chapters. It's like one of the longest sermons of all time. But he's saying, this is how you're going to have breakthrough. This is how you're going to cross over into the promised land. And so he's speaking here in the context of kings. But I want us to bring it and update it into modern day terms. He's speaking about kings here and the power of the Word of God in the life of the king. How important that is. And I would say to you, this is the power of the Word of God we can see demonstrated in the life of anyone who is a leader. Anyone who is, and again, you're a leader if only you are leading yourself. Okay? You may only be leading yourself, but you are a leader. With the goal to be a son or a daughter. Ladies, you're not left out of this. But check this out. Verse 18, chapter 17. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy these laws on a scroll for himself in the presence of the Levitical priests. So there's the human factor in there. Bringing the Word of God, accountability, making sure that they're staying on the right track. He must always keep this copy of the law with him and read it daily as long as he lives. Can you imagine the size of the scrolls that he's carrying around with him? No iPad, no iPhone. He couldn't, you know, everybody take out their Bibles, please. And everybody goes, you know, starts whipping with their thumb through their phone. He must always keep this copy of the law with him and read it daily as long as he lives. Apply this to your own life. I'll just give you something for free too. I, I, I would encourage you to take large portions of God's word and write it out. Why did he have him write it out? I've encouraged different ones, different guys that, that I've poured into their life and you know, just um, have encouraged them to do this. And they've come back and said, oh my word, that was powerful. One dude wrote out the whole book of Deuteronomy. So he's to keep this with him, read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms 
of this law. This regular reading, this regular consumption, study. I'm not talking about devotional, you know, uh, and the witnesses must throw the first stones, then all the people will join in. Okay, Lord, try and apply that to my life some way. (laughs) Amen. Good night. Or in the morning or, or whatever. You know, we do this devotional thing where it's every, the Word's all about us and rather than about Him. Okay? So, this regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud. This regular study of God's Word will prevent him from becoming proud. There's a humbling factor to the cutting of the Word of God in our lives that we desperately, desperately need. And acting as if he's above his fellow citizens. You know, the man of the house starts getting a little arrogant around the house. Like, uh, babe, you might want to go read a little word. You might want to go study some of that. It might help you out a little bit, give you a little humble pie. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, though, verse 32, just merely reading the word. Remember, remember we said, does the truth alone set us free? Yeah, anytime you hear somebody say that, they're tricking you. They're trying to trick you. Okay, you just go, no, no, no. But what does it say there? It says, those who apply the word of God, who abide in my word and work it out in their life as a true disciple and follower of me, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So merely mental assent of just reading the Word or anything like that, it has an effect, but what we're talking about here is applying it to our life. That's what's going to keep us from becoming proud, thinking that we're better than other people, lording it over other people. It has to be applied in our life. It has to get in and do its work. It has to cut us. The cross of Jesus Christ has got to come to bear in our lives. We must be crossed on a regular basis by God's Word. Without it, we're done. Come on. Our relationships are done. Our marriages are done. Our parenting is done. If we don't take the owner's manual and bring it to bear, apply it, live it out, will prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. This will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. This is what God is looking for, for people who have a generational vision. I want my children and my children's children and my great and great, great and great, 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 my bloodline to be those who honor God. What am I imparting to my children? I'm constantly asking myself that question. Am I giving them Jesus? Lisa and I are always talking about this. We're evaluating. Are we giving them the fake stuff? Are we just going through the motions ourselves? Is this really real? They're going to get Jesus. But only... If His Word and my relationship with the Lord is alive and true and real. Right, Justice? 
2 Timothy 4. And all the trout kids said, Amen. 2 Timothy 4. The power of the Word of God in the life of a disciple. And so, verse 1, I solemnly urge you before God and before Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when He appears to set up His kingdom. Preach the Word of God. Be persistent. If you are leading, if you have influence, input into anyone's life, if you disciple someone else, be persistent. Preach the Word of God. Let the Word of God work. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently. Can we just hold right there? Can we patiently just hold? Patiently. Patiently correct. Patiently rebuke. Patiently encourage. With good teaching. Good teaching. He wasn't talking about, you know, the kind of teaching. He was talking about the quality of the Word. Sound doctrine. For there's coming a time when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. How do we end up following strange myths? We end up following strange myths and going after people that, we, that tell us what we want to hear when we, first of all, we don't have the Word of God solidly in our own life. Somebody's sitting there telling us something and we're going, man, you know, there's something that just doesn't sound right about that, but I don't know what it is. Do we have the Word of God in us to the degree that we can know? Because ultimately, the bottom line is we're following Christ. And that isn't just going to happen by osmosis. It's going to happen through consuming God in His Word. That relationship with Him is so vitally important that we have that owner's manual down. Would you, would you stand with me, please? Each time when we've been going through these different aspects of this series, we've taken time... Uh, most of the time, to just pray and just present ourselves to the Lord in these areas. And we want to do so again this morning. Again, like we were talking about at the beginning, we've been redigging these wells. We've been saying, God, open up these wells to us, these, these life-giving wells that we could drink, that we could grow, that we could mature, that we could become like Jesus. And so we just present ourselves. Can we just lift our hands? But don't do it without lifting your heart. We present ourselves to You. Come and transform us. We open up these wells in the Spirit. 
deeper and deeper. This well of discipleship that we just say first and foremost that You are our Teacher, Jesus. We receive from You. We Whatever blocks there have been that have kept a lid on the well of our heart or the well of our mind and, and we just open those things up. Lord, we thank You for Your example of the full extent of Your love, which was to serve. You didn't come to be served. You came to serve. And we see that You've done that. We've seen You do it in our own lives. May we take it and apply it to our lives. To serve those in our family. To serve those in our community. To, would you not just Would you take us from that place of just being able to do something that we've been told to, how can God, how can I have a heart to serve other people? Open my eyes to see the needs that are around me. Open up my ears to hear the needs that are around me so that I can be a full extent, hopefully, of Your love to others. Jesus, thank You for turning discipleship on its head going with a posture of, of, of bottom-up instead of top-down. Lord, and we take Your Word every day, throughout the day. Lord, may we consume larger and larger meals of Your Word. Because You said it was You're the bread of life. And You're the Word of God. We just receive. We just receive from You. Thank You for Your loving and relational work in our lives. Thank You for what You did with Your own disciples when they struggled with faith and You, you performed miracles for them so that they could believe You. When they lacked understanding or they, they were struggling with unbelief. Jesus, You taught them. You pulled them aside. You helped them to understand Your investment in their life is such a great example. Jesus, come and take our lives. Let them be completely for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank You for persevering and keeping Your hands up.